The Assembly with Dwayne Dunaway. You have found it, our podcast. Welcome to this discussion of things that have to do with Jesus. And a lot is being said right now about the return of Jesus. Some even believe they have pinpointed exactly when that's going to happen. We see so many things in Christianity about date setting. And we always have setting a date, saying that we know when Jesus is going to come again, when Jesus plainly said no one knows. And if we follow the word of God to its conclusion on this matter, then we have to know that, for example, the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. A thief doesn't let you know the day or the hour when he's coming. And a lot of Christians disagree on a lot of aspects of this, but the one thing we should all agree on is that we don't know when he's going to come. We certainly don't need to be setting dates or saying that it's going to happen in a specific month. We need to focus on being ready, because that's the point of the New Testament. Now, he is coming back because in Acts chapter 1, when he ascended to heaven, the disciples were standing there looking at him and watching him go up into heaven. And like we would be prone to do, they were just focused on the absolute astounding side of that. And some angels appeared there and said, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven is going to come in like manner. In the same way that you saw him go, he's going to come again. And that's the focus. The focus is on the fact that he is coming again and we need to be ready. And the only way to be ready is to have that personal relationship of faith in Jesus Christ. You'll never be ready if you're focused on your sins, your crimes, your transgressions. You got to get forgiveness for those things. And you got to put them out of your mind and move on. And how does somebody say, well, how do we get forgiveness? There's only one way to get forgiveness, and that is to ask for it. God is a forgiving God. In fact, so forgiving that it was his idea to send Jesus into the world so that we could be saved. Whose idea was that? Did you write a letter to heaven and say, hey, send us a savior down here? Did any of us uh, send, you know, a, a group of people up, a, a group of uh, convincers, a group of uh, representatives to go up and, and convince God to send a Savior down here to save us? No, we didn't do any of that. Jesus came by the will of God, which should suggest to us that it is God's will, God's idea, God's plan that we be saved. And you don't have to convince God of anything that he is determined to do. So salvation is something that comes from the mind of God. And when it comes to being ready for the return of Christ, that's where it begins. It begins with recognizing that God is interested in saving. God is determined to save those who will be saved. The only thing keeping anybody from being saved is their own stubborn rebellion against God and refusing to believe in him, refusing to accept him. Now, somebody says, well, and they'll inevitably say this. Well, what about people who have never heard? We're talking about people who have heard. I will leave the people who have not heard in the hands of God. I will leave that alone. And I would suggest that you do that as well. God is the judge. He is a righteous judge. He is a merciful and faithful judge. And he will do right. He will do what's right with everyone that stands before him. Okay? So let's get that out of the way. Now, you and I are focused on those who have heard the gospel because you've heard the gospel and I've heard the gospel. And the gospel is that God sent his son into the world to save us. 
And God sent his son into the world to die as a sacrifice for sins committed. He is a holy God. He is a God who cannot tolerate sin. Sin infringes on his holiness. And yet it is free will, his decision to give us the ability to make our own choices and our own decisions. And we have made those choices to rebel against him. So that presents a predicament. And the predicament is that we are sinners who deserve the wrath of God. God says, okay, I'm going to send my son into the world to die for those sins. Now, why doesn't he just, you know, sweep it under the rug? Why doesn't he just pretend like it, it didn't happen? Well, that would have certainly been the easier thing to do, wouldn't it? And uh, I may not know why he doesn't do that, but I know that Romans chapter 3 says that he is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, he is holy. He's still as holy as he has ever been, even though he's justifying people who aren't holy, even though he's saving people who aren't holy. He's bringing people who aren't holy into his fold, into his fellowship. So how can he remain holy and deal with people who aren't holy as though they were holy? Well, he does that through the sacrifice of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is the equalizer in all of this because Christ went to the cross a perfect man. He had lived a perfect life and he died as a sacrifice for the rest of us. And you mock that. You say, well, that doesn't make sense to me. Do anything you want to with that. You have that choice. But the best thing to do is to believe it and to receive it and to say, well, there's aspects of it I don't understand, but the evidence for the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus is overwhelming. And if you don't believe it is, then take you 30 minutes and look at the fact that, you know, for example, 12 men, the apostles, gave their life's blood to seal the testimony that they saw him after his resurrection. And, you know, there's a lot of evidence like that. If anyone really wants to know the truth, not just, you know, their ideas or what they think or why would a loving God do things I can't understand. If you want to know the truth, the truth is there. And the truth about Jesus is there. He's the most unique uh, man in history. He is the most important man in history. He is the man who has had the biggest impact. And he is the man whose uh, grave has never been found because the grave is empty. He was raised from the dead. Now, the fact that he is the true and living God, came into the world, died for our sins, and that we get to be saved because of that. There's also the fact that he is coming again. And his return will be a day of great joy and great glory for those who have chosen to follow him. Remember, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says that he is coming in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who don't know God, those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes to be glorified on that day with his saints. So the ones who have chosen to follow Jesus will be glorified on that day. What does that mean? I don't know what all that means. I don't understand all that means. I know what the Bible says about it. It's going to be a day of, of joy. It's going to be a day of well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. It's going to be a day when we are brought into the presence of God to live eternally. Lots and lots of things that are going to be a part of that final time, that final day. But does that mean we understand all of it? Of course not. Here we are confined by time, and uh, we don't know what that's all going to be about. But we can look forward to it, and we can believe it. And we can also share that message with other people, because not everyone is going to be excited and full of joy on that day. But they can be. Nothing stopping them if they will simply accept Christ. 
Dwayne, do you believe that people have to accept Christ in order to be right with God, in order to spend eternity in heaven, in order to be all right eternally? Absolutely, I do. Because, I mean, there's not a whole lot of things you can do with Jesus ex except either call him the craziest man who ever lived, the biggest liar who ever lived, or the man who is who he claimed to be. And he claimed to be the Lord. And he proved that he was the Lord through miracles, wonders, and signs. Read the Bible. There is no book like the Bible. Read the gospel stories and then ask yourself, could anybody have made this man up? Of course not. So judgment and wrath, things we don't fully understand, don't have to understand in order to believe in them. God has said this is the way it's going to be. And the joys of heaven, the joys of Christ's return, these are things we don't have to fully understand in order to benefit from them, in order to know that we are going to be a part of them through Christ. Jesus is a Savior who really saves. Now think about that. He doesn't just try to save. He doesn't make us savable. He really actually saves. And he brings us into the presence of God on the basis of what he has done. Not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of what he has done. Our trust in the atonement of Christ, the victory of Christ, the life that Christ lived, our trust in him, God says, I will reward that. And I will reward that with righteousness. I will make you absolutely perfect and righteous if you will trust in my son. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what we need to be focused on, believing that God will transform us, will make us new if we trust in Jesus. Jesus is what it's all about. He's what it's all about from beginning to end. And he came into this world to save those who will put their faith in him, who will put their trust in him. That's such a simple matter to make the decision that we will believe in and trust in Jesus Christ. That's very important to God because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever does what? Whoever believes in him. Now that believes in him does not mean just believing that he exists, believing that he came into the world, or even believing that he's the son of God and was raised from the dead. That's really no big deal to believe that because the evidence is overwhelming. What you got to believe is that he did it for you and that it counts for you and that that is how you are saved. Now, somebody says, well, you know, Dwayne, I've been so rotten. I've been so bad. I've been so sinful. I have such a uh, crimson past, such a shady past. Well, guess what? Uh, you're not alone in that. In fact, everyone does in their own way. Now, you may think that yours is worse than others, and maybe on the surface it may be. But sin is sin, and deep down, we're all in the same boat. Christ came to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1 and about verse 15 says, Christ came to save sinners, not good people, because there are no good people. There is, there's none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3 tells us. There's none who does good in the absolute sense. So we're all in need of a Savior. Christ came to save sinners. And those sinners who accept him and those sinners who put their trust in him and do what God says, believing in Christ, looking to Christ, leaning on Christ, living for Christ, they get to go to heaven by being ready for his return. How are we ready for his return? Again, Titus 2.11 says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to everyone teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, this present world, looking for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are looking for 
Jesus. You know what you need to be doing with your life and what I need to be doing with my life is looking for Jesus. A lot of believers believe in the return of Christ and the second coming of Christ, but they don't think about it. And so they believe in it intellectually, but it has not taken over their life. It has not transformed them. It's not something that they're dwelling on. But if he's really coming back, what could be more important? If he exists, what could be more important than being ready to meet him? And again, it's called the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation is very simple. The plan of salvation is Jesus and Jesus wants to save. And so put your trust in him because the grace of God has appeared to everyone. The grace of God, when it says it appeared to everyone, is talking about the entire world. There's people all over the world who know about the grace of God. And the gospel is being preached to all the world as we speak. And when you believe the gospel and when you trust in the grace of Christ, then it will give you that impetus to look forward to, to look for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about that, the glorious appearing of Christ. That's Titus 2, 11 through 14, by the way, that I'm quoting. But looking at this life as a preparation time, as, as a preparation for something that's coming in the future, this life is so short. There is nothing permanent here except what you have in Christ. Your relationship with God is what's going to survive the grave. And what kind of relationship can you have with God? You can have a relationship where you are absolutely 100% perfect in his eyes by trusting in his son. That's how much he thinks of his son. And he wants to know what you think of him. What do you think of Jesus? You know, Pilate asked that question. Matthew 27, he wanted to let Jesus go. So he took Barabbas out of prison and Barabbas was a notorious prisoner. And he put these two men together and said, I will release one of them. And thinking surely they would choose for Jesus to be released over Barabbas. He knew Jesus had not done anything wrong. And they said, we want Barabbas to be released. And so Pilate said, well, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they said, crucify him. Well, what should we do with Jesus, who is called Christ? You know, we can let people stir up our minds against him the way that the religious leaders did that crowd where they called out for his death and they hated him so badly that they wanted him to be crucified. They wanted him to be killed. And we can let people cause us to think badly about him, even though he's done nothing wrong, even though he's never been anything but good to us. We can have negative thoughts about Jesus very easily because people are constantly attacking him. So what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? Here's what we need to do. We need to love him. We need to live for him. We need to long for him, look for him, looking for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us that we are to rest our hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Rest your hope, rest your assurance, your confidence completely on one thing, the grace that is to be brought to you. Remember we said from Titus 2.11, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to everyone so we can look for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now that we have the grace of God, we can look forward to being with Jesus. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be scared. Well, same thing in 1 Peter chapter 1. Rest your hope fully on one thing and one thing only, not your goodness, but his grace. Everything about the gospel shouts grace, grace, grace. Now, if you focus on what you've done and you look away from God, 
then you're going to be anxious. You're going to be scared. But if you look to Jesus and the grace that he's going to bring to you, it's like, you know, Isaiah 26 and verse three says that God keeps in perfect peace the one who keeps their mind on him. Keep your mind on God and God will keep you in peace. Well, keep your mind on God when it comes to the return of Jesus. Keep your mind on the fact that he is going to bring grace with him and enough grace that it'll cover all of your sins. I don't know what you've done. I don't know how bad you think it is. I know there are a lot of people in the world who think I'm too bad to save. God will save others, but I don't think he'll save me. Will he really save me? And the answer is yes, he will. Because where sin abounds, Paul said in the book of Romans, grace abounds all the more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. The more sin there is, the more grace there is to take care of. In fact, Paul made that point so strongly, some evidently got the idea there in Romans 5 and Romans 6 that by sinning more, we can get more grace and therefore God gets more glory. And Paul said, God forbid, certainly not. We are dead to sin. We can't live any longer in sin on purpose. But the fact that they even got that idea meant that he was preaching grace so strongly. And he does. And the Bible does. And Jesus does. And God does. Talking about his willingness to extend grace to Sinners, do you believe in the grace of God? Do you believe that God is a God of salvation, a God who longs to save sinners, who wants to save sinners, that there's nothing that brings him any more joy than saving people? A lot of people can't even get past that word sinner. They don't even like to be called sinners, but they're not being very honest with themselves because when you look at your life and you look at what you've done and you look at how you've treated people and you look at how you treat God, you know, we have people who say God has never helped me. God has never done anything for me. And then they take their next breath and they don't realize who gave them that air to breathe. Whose air are they breathing? And they sit down to a meal and they don't say a word of thanks to God. And they eat that meal and they just eaten food that God has provided. And they say, what has God ever done for me? God has done everything for you. Everything that you have is from God uh, in one way or another. God created all things. God controls all things. God cares for all things. That includes you. That includes me. So these are the things that you need to be thinking about when it comes to the final return of Christ, that he is not coming to try to find fault with those who have received him and who have repented of their sins. Now, there's a lot of sins to repent of in my life in your life. But when we turn away from sin and look to Christ, they're gone. We have repented. We have been changed. We have been forgiven. And God extends his grace to us. So what we should be doing is looking forward to the fact that we will spend eternity with Christ in a place of absolute bliss. You remember Jesus said in John 14 that he is coming again. He said, I am going to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. In other words, I'm going away, but I'm going to come again. And while I'm away, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Do you remember how he starts that conversation there in John 14? He says, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Don't let your heart be anxious. Don't let your heart be worried. Don't let your heart fret. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be scared and afraid. Believe in me. Trust in me because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that salvation that he is bringing, that place that he has prepared for us, that he's going to take us to, that is for everyone who names the name of Christ. That is for everyone who asks for salvation. Listen, you can't earn it. 
There's nothing you can do to achieve it because, again, once we've sinned and we are sinners, there's nothing we can do to make it right. The only hope we have is forgiveness. And the only thing we need is forgiveness. And God is offering forgiveness. So once we have forgiveness, once we have the forgiveness of God that takes away our sins, that makes us new creatures, that gives us what we need, then we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to do but look forward to what Christ is bringing to us. And what he's bringing is eternal life. What he's bringing is joy in heaven forever if we're ready. So how do you stay ready? You love him. You live for him. That's the key. Loving Jesus. What must I do to be saved is summed up in one word, loving Jesus. They asked Jesus in Matthew 22 what the great commandment is, what it's all about. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And that is a decision. That is not a feeling. Feelings will come from it, but it's not talking about a feeling there. It's talking about a decision to love God. He's your creator. He loved you first, and when we love Jesus, we're simply loving him back. So loving Jesus leads to living for Jesus. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 15 probably, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Live by my teachings. Do what I say. Live for me. And those who love him will do that. They won't do it perfectly. Only Jesus is perfect, but they will do it faithfully. They will be trying to direct their lives and live their lives according to the teachings of Christ. Because he is our master. He is our teacher. He is our Lord. He is our leader. He is our savior. We are his disciples and disciples learn and disciples follow. He leads. We learn. We follow what we learn. That's what we're trying to do is live for Jesus. So how to be ready? How, how can you be ready for the return of Christ? How can you be ready for Christ to come again and take you to a place that is far better than anything on this earth? How can you be ready for Christ to come and remove you from all of this sorrow, all of this suffering, and go to be with him forever? That is what life is about, is Christ. How can you be ready to do that? Love him, live for him. And keep your eyes focused on him. Keep your eyes focused on the fact that Jesus will return and look for him, long for him, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Make it a point to think about this every day. Think about the fact that this could be the day. Think about the fact that this world is not going to last forever. Think about the fact that your earthly life is not going to last forever. Think about the fact that you are made in the image of God and you were created to spend eternity somewhere. Spend eternity with God. You do that through Christ. You do that through the death of Christ. You do that through trusting in Christ. And by believing that he's coming to get you, it makes life, you know, it just adds a whole nother dimension to life. Makes life worth living. Makes life a completely different ball game when you are looking at this from the standpoint of Jesus returning to get you, returning to take you home, returning to be with you so that you can be with him. It's like John prayed in the revelation. Amen. Come quickly, Lord. That's what we should be looking forward to. That's what we should be thinking about. And we're thinking about everything else. We're thinking about all these different things, all these confusing doctrines. We're thinking about setting dates, for example, like we started off talking about and uh, the things of this world. We're always concerned about the things of this world, always making plans. Nothing wrong with making plans, but we don't know what a day will bring forth. 
the book of James tells us. And so we should say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. We don't know when this world will end, but we know that when it does, we will be ready if we know Christ. So set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Love Jesus and live for him. Receive him. Accept him. Live your life for him. Strive to do the things that he says. These are all very simple concepts, and yet they mean the world. They mean eternity. They mean eternal life by focusing simply on him. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12, 2. Focusing on him looking to him, letting him guide you, letting him have your life is going to bring eternal life. And you don't have to worry about the return of Christ as far as being anxious about it, because it's going to be a day of tremendous hope for you, tremendous glory for you, tremendous uh, salvation for you, tremendous joy for you, you know, on and on and on we could go. This is the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel is salvation through Christ and the return of Christ. So think about it. Make it a part of your thinking. Make it a part of your expectations in life. Make it a part of your life. Make it a part of your life that is, you know, I guess you could say in a sense, second only to Christ himself. We think about Christ himself, but we also remember to be ready for his coming because he is going to come again. That's going to change your life. That's going to make a difference in not only your life, but others. Because when they see that you are not focused just on things here, but that you are expecting something big to happen, they're going to want to know what that is. And they're going to want to share in that with you. And they're going to want to look and see if it's real. And the way to do that is to just simply read the Gospels, read about Christ. And, you know, examining the evidence outside the Bible, that's a fine thing if that's what you need to do. There is certainly plenty of it. But the simplest way is just to say, this is the Son of God. And the Gospels are His story. And read one of them if you don't believe that. And then give your life to Him. And that's the simplest way to be. And then you'll be ready. If you die before He comes back, you'll be ready when he comes back, if he comes before you die, it'll all work out the same. You'll be with Jesus and in his presence forevermore. We thank you for watching our podcast, The uh, Assembly, and for thinking about these things with us, considering these things. These are very important uh, considerations. No, we don't know when he's coming back, but we know he's coming, and the key is to be ready. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Walk with Jesus. Live for him. Love him. Long for him. Look for him. It's all about Christ.